0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series celebrating our freedom in Christ with a message entitled, Loving God and Heeding Warnings. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 34, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I'm reading 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-seven 27 to 34. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. See, many believers whom I know because of the passage I've just read are afraid of the Lord's table because this passage tells us that if we partake of it in an unworthy manner, we might incur the judgment of God, in the worst case resulting in death. I've known all manner of Christians who actually skip church on the Sundays when communion is served. The passage we have just read fills them with anxiety. They feel as they're unworthy. You know, it's for this reason that I think an explanation of this passage is essential. If Christ wants us to partake of this table and yet at the same time warns us, we're well served to understand the warning and who the warning applies to. Now, in my last address, which is all about the meaning of the Lord's table, I made the point that the Lord's table invites us to do two things. It invites us to look back at the sufferings of our Lord and of the forgiveness and grace that his atoning sacrifice brought us. And it also invites us to look forward, since we eat and drink, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let me borrow on that theme and suggest from the passage we have read today that the Lord's table also invites us first to look inward and examine our own spiritual lives. And then second, it invites us to look upward at God to see what he's up to, that is in discipling us, and finally, third, to look outward in seeing our obligations to the entire family of God. So then let's start with the matter that troubles us the most, this matter of looking inward and seeing if we're worthy to participate in the table of the Lord. From verses 27 to 31, looking especially now at verse 28, we notice that every believer who approaches the Lord's table is required to do self-examination. Let a person examine himself, says the apostle. One would therefore have to assume that self-examination ought to precede all participation in the table of the Lord. And by the way, if I might digress here, I think this would be mandatory for all Christian churches that the leadership should be helping people understand what this self-examination should look like and time should be provided for a person to do it. Ideally, we would hope that people would come to the table of the Lord already having examined themselves before they got there. You know, but in a world of so many distractions, I think we have to assume that for many it's not taken place. Now, some churches practice what has been called closed communion in which only church members are invited to that special time, usually on some evening reserved for only church members. And over my years in pastoral ministry, I always practiced open communion, and that meant that the table of the Lord was available to everyone who came, but in this, a call was made for self-examination. You know, because the text says, let a person examine himself, I believe then, and I still do today, that it's not the task of church leadership to make the decision of who partakes, but it's the task of the individual. That they are to examine themselves and the leadership is to help that individual in the self-examination process. So, what does self-examination entail? Well, I notice four key phrases in our text. First, there's a warning against partaking in an unworthy manner. Second, the command is to discern the body. Third, another warning regarding the consequences of not doing proper self-examination. And then fourth, the promise that if we have judged ourselves truly, we will not come under judgment. So let's then say that self-examination consists of four items. And so first, what does it mean to partake of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner? Now, from the wider context of our passage, that is the rich despising the poor and so humiliating the poor and some getting drunk at love feasts, this seems to be the key issue. And so at least from some perspectives, those who are unworthy are those who are now living in a sin that is not confessed. Lack of love for others is sometimes cited here. Still, others remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5:23 that if you're at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, one should go first and be reconciled to that brother. And so, from that perspective, if there is any unreconciled relationship that you have, you are excluded from the table of the Lord. You know, there is another perspective, however. The immediate context of the phrase eating and drinking in an unworthy manner is the repetition of two phrases that come from our Lord. This is my body, which is broken for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I mean, those phrases remind us, as Paul does in verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. In other words, Paul has made a distinction between the love feast and the table of the Lord. See, when you eat the bread and drink the cup, you need to be doing it in a worthy manner. So let me try to explain that. We are partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner if we only do it as a ritual. But we are also doing it in an unworthy manner if we treat a brother or sister with contempt. I think also we do it in an unworthy manner if we will not repent of our sins, for then we treat His sacrifice on the cross as of no importance. We do it in an unworthy manner if we will not believe that his once for all sacrifice on the cross is enough to cover us for all of our sins. Now, those who are overly sensitive and say, but there's a relationship that I have that's not reconciled. So as an example, a woman has a husband who has committed adultery and consequently they're separated and the the relationship is now in shambles. Uh, We do that woman, I think, a disservice if we say to her, unless that relationship with your husband is reconciled, you're not invited to the table of the Lord. No, no. The table of the Lord was made for just such a woman as that. I think what we would want is simply this we would ask for God's people to turn from all known sins and indeed to repent of all known sins. I mean, we do not ask them to solve those matters over which they have no control. And it's for this reason that the table of the Lord is a marvelous time for a church together to come in humility and repentance before their Lord. This can be a time for a corporate confession of sins. I know some churches will actually recite a common confession of sins together, which can become a time of deep inner cleansing. Now, Paul in verse 27 uses the phrase in an unworthy manner. And then in verse 29, he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, that key phrase is discerning the body. See, which body does Paul have in mind? Well, he must mean the body of Jesus, that is, his crucified body, which was crushed for us, whose blood was shed out for us. And so in verse 27, where it speaks of unworthy attitudes and thus mandates that we repent of all known sins when we approach the table, verse 29 speaks of assurance of forgiveness. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the only hope that I have for a right relationship with God my own devices, my own attempts to try harder next time. I mean, all of those attitudes are a failure to discern the value of the body. Now, I love what the German theologian from the 1500s said about this thing. His name was Zacharias Ursinius, and he struggled with his own unworthiness to approach the Lord's table. And here are the words that he wrote, and I quote them. Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their continuing weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith, they should come. But hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's the end of the quote. And I think that's precisely the point. You are worthy to approach the Lord's table when you realize how unworthy you actually are. But you are also worthy when you also realize how worthy Christ is to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And if that's you, then approach the table, for you are not only welcome there, but Christ himself bids you to come. Don't fear, Christ is your confidence. And by the way, if I might add this as well, this means that we should discourage non-believers from attending the Lord's table. But for those who put our hope in Christ, don't despair, for Christ is your hope. Don't wonder if you're condemned. Put your faith in Him, and when you do, you have rightly discerned the body of our Lord.
0: These are challenging days. Many across Canada find themselves in circumstances that they would have never imagined. In times of crisis, we often find ourselves searching for something to place our confidence in. And for many, that means a rediscovery of faith. Maybe you're experiencing this yourself. This is the reason Back to the Bible Canada is steadfastly committed to offering Bible teaching you can trust every day with every medium possible, including this radio program. In short, we're committed to remaining faithful in declaring the trustworthy Bible teaching you've come to expect. Wherever people are searching for God, we want to be there. Your support of all the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, including Laugh Again and our young adult ministry in Doubt, is essential. To discover more about these ministries or to find out about our national ministry event, the Gathering, this coming September 27th, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: We've been talking about the necessity of looking inward when it comes to partaking of the Lord's table. But we can't leave this important matter without considering the warnings. The first warning comes to us in verse 27. If we partake in an unworthy manner, we will be guilty, says the English Standard Version, concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Other translations say guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. And still other translations say guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. But in the Greek, the word that gets translated as concerning or profaning or sin, well, there's actually no word there in the Greek at all. The translators have typically provided the word. Now, here in the New American Standard Bible, it states it exactly as is found in the Greek. It simply says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And that's strange language, guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And that has led so many translators to provide a word which makes sense of the sentence. But if we leave the sentence the way that Paul wrote it, guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, he means guilty of Christ's death. The body refers to Christ's crushed body. The blood, his blood shed out. Paul says, if you partake unworthily, You are as one of those who have crucified Jesus. Now, that sounds serious enough, but then he adds to that thought in verse 29, you drink judgment on yourself. And then he adds the final word in verse 30, that is why many are weak and ill and some have died. Approaching the table of the Lord without repentance and faith is no small matter at all. See, every once in a while, while I was in pastoral ministry, someone would say to me, Pastor, I know that I'm not worthy to be at the Lord's table today. I mean, maybe they had sinned recently and they felt terrible and I shouldn't be here, they say. And of course they were right. You shouldn't be there. In fact, whoever judges themselves to be worthy has no business at the Lord's table. In fact, I deserve to be condemned. I deserve to be sick and dying and condemned to an eternity of torment. But I discern that Christ's body has borne the condemnation for me. That's my judgment. And that's the attitude that we need to bring. But I need to hasten to add an important matter here. There's a warning in which God himself uses the most severe language in warning us to count on grace when we approach. But having said that, I want to add that this is not a passage that teaches that whenever we find a believer who's sick or some believer who's unexpectedly died, that we immediately jump to the conclusion that in some fashion they must have sinned. That's simply untrue. Some of you might remember John chapter 9, the account of the man that was born blind. The disciples want to know who sinned, this man or his parents, and the answer was that neither sinned, this man was this way, so that the glory of God would be revealed in him as Jesus encountered him and healed him. See, the phenomenon of sickness and death and suffering among believers is actually quite a detailed matter in Scripture and one that surely deserves a great deal of study. But we do well not to point out simplistic answers to the suffering of believers. And having said that, the warning still stands. See, I think that Hebrews 10, verse 6, which tells us that the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You know, suffering in the life of a believer is not punishment, but it's often a kind and loving hand of God used to arrest us and grab our attention and direct us to the loving and kind plans of God. So, child of God, don't despair if you've sinned. Boldly approach the table of our Lord and celebrate that our God is not only holy and demands holiness of us, but that our God is also gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But when we began, I promised that we would talk about three matters, and I've only covered one of them up till now. See, up till now, I have said that the table of our Lord calls for us to look inward So let's move from that and also express that the table of our Lord invites us to look upward, to look at him who loves us and to give thanks. So let's look at verses 31 to 32. But if we judged ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And there is a world of difference between discipline and condemnation. And yet, while I say that, there are also some similarities. Now, I need you to know that I grew up in an era when parents spanked their children. And I, and I do know of children who grew up in physically abusive homes, but children like myself, who were spanked on more than one occasion, actually never felt abused, except once. Now, just to be clear, I, mean, I have a commitment to honor my mom and my dad, but I also have a clear memory of my father once spanking me in, in white-hot anger. And I immediately knew, even as a child, that he was acting unjustly and I felt abused. And he he later apologized for his spanking of me because it was an expression of anger and not an expression of his discipline for his son. And that's exactly what Hebrews 12 teaches us. Verse 7 says, What son is there who is not disciplined by his father? Verse 8 then adds, If we are not disciplined by our God, we are illegitimate children. Our God who is preparing us for eternally ruling and reigning with him is right now at work preparing us for eternity. And part of that preparation is to discipline us or to correct us. All God's children are disciplined, but how? Well, according to Hebrews 12, we should endure hardship as discipline. And that's because a meticulously sovereign God is arranging our hardships in order to properly educate us as his sons and daughters to join Christ as joint heirs with him in what is to come. And that's where 1 Corinthians 11 verse 32 is so important. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned. And here it is. Discipline in the present moment, although it might be difficult, is a sign that we are not among those who are condemned. So take heart, child of God. Even if you encounter discipline in the present, you are being prepared. And that's why when we approach the table of the Lord, we approach not with trepidation. And I might have done something wrong and be condemned. Rather, I approach with confidence, knowing that God is my Father and Christ is my Savior. And I celebrate and I give thanks. Now, one more item. We've mentioned looking inward and looking up. And now, when you're at the Lord's table, have a look around. You're not there by yourself. You're there in fellowship with brothers and sisters. So, verse 33 reads, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. See, this verse, verse 33, is one of the reasons why I like the idea of everyone eating and drinking together. Look, there's nothing wrong with going forward and receiving the bread and the cup, but I love the symbolism of everyone sitting together in a worship service, waiting for everyone to have been served, and then together, all of us hear the words of institution. This is my body, which is broken for you, and this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. And then as everyone hears the words together Everyone in communion with Christ and in communion with one another, share the same faith together, eating the same bread and drinking the same cup. See, the Lord's table is a table of communion. It never was intended as a lone celebration. And one final word. Paul ends this section by saying, if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. See, in saying those words, Paul is effectively cutting the cord between the love feast and the communion table. Look, there's nothing wrong with a church sharing a meal together and expressing love. But the table of the Lord is a separate table from all of the other tables that we share. This table stands as a unique table from all of the other tables around. And so with these words, Paul brings to an end a a section of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 8 to 11, a section that deals with Christian freedom. Instead of using our freedom to get whatever we want, Paul eventually brought the Corinthians to the Lord's table and said, Don't you see? You can never act alone, whether in the individual everyday decisions you make or when you come into worship, all of our freedom is conducted by looking around us and by saying, how can I use my freedom to bless my brother and to bless my sister? And so when we think about this unique privilege that every believer has to come to the table of the Lord, come by looking around you if you can embrace as many believers as you can look and ask yourself lord is there someone i should be reaching out to use your freedom in such a way that breathes life for did not christ use his freedom to bring life to you to god be the glory heavenly father thank you for 1 corinthians chapter 8 to chapter 11 Thank you that it began by talking about those incidental details that some of us argue about and ended up with the communion of God's people blessing you for the table that you have provided. Oh, heavenly Father, may our thinking be so directed in Jesus' name, amen.
0: I can't believe the amount of ground you've covered over these last four weeks with this, uh, with this series, John. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, So I guess in in the end of it, I've got to ask you a a resolution question. I guess Uh, the message series or the series message is called "Celebrating Our Freedom in Christ." Uh, What does that mean for us?
1: Yeah, there is so much that we have covered. I mean, we started with a question of, you know, am I allowed to eat food that has been sacrificed to idols? And then, am I allowed to do, am I allowed to do? And we have all sorts of contemporary questions about what we're free to do and what we're not free to do. And then we ended with the Lord's table and are being invited to come to that table to celebrate together what Christ has done for us. So how do we put all that together? And I think if I could put one phrase together, it would be this, whatever we do, Let's do it in such a way that builds up the body of Christ and one another. Let's freely act to infuse grace into our fellowship. Let's look at who's hurting and let's look at who's lonely. Let's look at who's alienated and who's been neglected. And let's ask ourselves, how can we use the freedom that Christ has given us to touch the lives of some and to bring them all the grace that Christ wants to bring them. That, I think, Ben, puts everything that we've covered in some kind of a nutshell. I think that's what Paul wants us to understand. That's what he's communicating to us. And so that's what I'd like to say to the listener. Use your
0: freedom in Christ to bless the lives of other believers. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for this series. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. We're excited at Back to the Bible Canada, laugh again and in doubt to announce a national virtual ministry event this September 27th called The Gathering. Join us in celebrating our common passion for the Bible and the significance of teaching its truth to a new generation. So we invite you to join us on Facebook Live September 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific 8 p.m. Eastern, right across the nation, with special guests Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, musical guests including friends Shane and Angela Weeb, and many more to be announced. Join us for music, Bible teaching, laughter, ministry news, and more. Find out more at backtothebible.ca slash events. Visit the Back to the Bible Canada Facebook page or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Join us Sunday, September 27th for The Gathering.